everybody to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, Caitlin Postal, here with me and today. I am your co-host, Caitlin Postal. Brian, how are you today? <laughs> Very good. I had no like corny intro for you this week. I know. That's why I figured I'd just jump right in like the jump in. that I am. Go get it. Go get it. Exactly right. And we have a we have our guest today. Uh, uh, I guess I can call you a serial. Can I call you a serial entrepreneur, Aaron? Would that, would that be fair? You can as long as nobody assumes I found it a loop because I'm about uh, five or seven years too late for that. Okay. Fair, <laughs> fair enough. That, I would say that's appropriate. All right. Aaron Schwartz from, from Loop. You are president of Loop Returns and uh, – Really, really happy to have you on the program this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate this. I was right. hoping I would get a cornier intro, like unlike Caitlin, but nothing. No, she yeah. she kind of looks at me like I'm rolling out dad jokes every time I say it. So <laughs> I figured I'd surprise her this time. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. So Aaron, can you give us the you know, the listeners a little bit of background on yourself and a little bit maybe about Loop as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so very quickly on myself, I, I think probably the relevant background, like. Um, professional career consulting MBA. And then I started three different companies. One I'd say was, was pretty bad. It was a sustainability business and like really big ideas, but we just, we didn't execute well. The second one is what brought me into commerce, a consumer brand called Modify Watches. Uh, we were kind of 2010s, like early-ish vintage, became a Shopify shop, ultimately sold that company to Custom Inc. Um, I think in about 2017, or maybe I think it actually ultimately sold in 2019, which is funny. So, so ran it full-time for seven years and then um, had, a, had an awesome team that was running it for two. And then in 2017, co-founded a company called Passport Shipping, which does international shipping for D2C brands. Like, I think partnering with you guys for sure. Um, you know, um, Bombas, BarkBox, Native, um, bunch, bunch of really great brands there. And then I've kind of had a, a little winding journey in the last couple of years. I, I spent a bunch of time as an advisor and investor in companies, like re really small investor from, from a check size, but a pretty active advisor, primarily in the commerce infrastructure space, a couple ed tech, couple just like, hey, I love talking to early stage founders and anybody who wants to spend an hour, if I can help them save 10 hours of work, I, I try to try to make those hours as often as I can. And then one of those advisees became Loop. And after... A handful of months and Loop raised a Series B. I, I had the opportunity to jump in and um, um, super high level. Uh, I've kind of touched a lot of the company for, for a short time, ran sales and then marketing and then partnerships. And then we got actual like really good functional leaders through sales marketing partnerships. Mm -hmm. And now I'm spending a lot of time on, on the product side and on the logistics side as well. Um, so that's it on me. And I can jump right in on Loop if that would be useful. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe more relevant and more interesting for listeners. I, I am from Cleveland, Ohio, by the way. That that is the number one thing that I should say about myself, which is a big deal. Um, so we have some is, connections. We have some connections, by the way, for with Cleveland. So our founder, Bob Stahl, uh, okay. was from was a he was the founder of Port Logistics Group. Uh, he was from Cleveland, yeah. and our and today our chief engineer and process officer Sarah Drizetic, she is also Cleveland born and raised. And sound like wonderful people. I, I I try to brand it as America's favorite city. I don't I don't think I've gotten very far with it. Um, right. <laughs> so 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 Loop Loop returns. We've been around. Um, Loop spun out of an agency, right? And it was a really interesting founding story where Chubby's, right, which was kind of one yeah. of the faster growing agency sure. brands. Obviously, you know them all. Everybody does. They they had a a great exit to solo brands right now. Um, I think it was last year or so. So uh, Chubby's had this issue with they had a lot of customer love, but then they would have 
returns and people would want to find something else and it would take three or four customer service tickets to get the exchange. And they weren't necessarily creating a lot of value by having the personal touch, right? A lot of times you do want to have that personal touch to dig in with the customer. And so they came to Loop and said, hey, like we want to remove the customer or they, sorry, they came to an agency that our, our founders were running, right? And said, hey, we want to remove these customer service tickets. Help us automate this process. And then it was, oh, wow, look, if we actually look at the numbers, um, getting somebody to convert from a return into an exchange creates an extraordinary lifetime value. There's the, you know, you, you've paid, let's just use a hundred bucks, right? And a $30 acquisition cost. We paid $30 to acquire this customer. They spent a hundred bucks. Now Caitlin's asking for the return, right? Or Brian's asking for the return. Right. Um, I've already spent that 30 bucks. What can I do to, to get him or her to, to stick around as a customer? And the benefits of that are many fold, but like very clearly you get to keep the hundred bucks instead of returning it to the customer. Um, you don't have to go pay $30 more to acquire the next customer to consume that same original item. And you start the lifetime value calculator. So Brian becomes a referrer, Caitlin becomes a repeat purchaser, et cetera. Right. right. So that was the founding story. And like, if you think about where we fit in the ecosystem, you know, there are some really good companies that do returns, right? There are some mm -hmm. like really heavy duty logistics companies like the Happy Returns, or there's like a Returnly who's a FinTech company, or there's Narvar who's a tracking company who's added a returns product. And obviously there are some like really good up and up and comers as well. Where Loop fits is we are more of a product shop. Like we spun out of like a brand's vision. We have always like been led by our brands. Hey, we're trying to do this. We want this. This, this is a pain that our customers are feeling or right. on the operation side, this is the pain that we're feeling. And so, you know, at this stage in the business where, you know, Chubby's, Allbirds, Cotopaxi were our first three clients six, seven years ago, they're all still customers with us. Yep. We've got, I think about 1200 more um, and growing very, very swiftly. Um, we're about 150 humans based out of Columbus, Ohio, raised a Series B um, from, from a great fund called CRV, but Shopify itself is an investor. And we are 100% focused on the Shopify ecosystem. Um, yeah, so yep. let me pull there and then I can go into like kind of the product side and, and the impact. Yeah, no, and I I think it's interesting, and and, and we I've had this conversation with with people before, and I've I've been around the e-commerce, uh, especially on the fulfillment side, for you know a, a long time, and you know I remember that there was a period of time where returns were let's make it as difficult for customers to make a return as possible to discourage returns, but the reality is, and I think this is this is to your point, it's about building that brand trust, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Brand affinity and like, um, you know, you can look at, um, we could we could have a zero return policy. We would just mm -hmm. have a $40, $40 restocking fee on a $40 right. product, right? Nobody would return right. and you would also be killing your upfront conversion rate. Yeah. And so um, you can look at your customers who return and the default response is, oh, that's not good. She's returning. If you like actually dig in on the numbers and you look at the kind of your whole cohort of customers, yeah. what you'll find is the people who return a lot might be some of your most profitable customers because they're the people, right? They're, I'm, I'm separating from policy abuse and yeah, yeah. That's a small bucket that is very painful and I don't want to dismiss it. But I think what you'll end up finding is the customers who are returning a lot are the customers who are really exploring your catalog, who yep. are talking about you, who really want to try that new product. And then they want it to fit perfectly because they want to go talk about it. Um, and I think the reframe that has happened very clearly, at least for like the top performing brands is moving returns from a call center to a very clear part of like the profit story, to a very clear part of the growth story and the brand affinity and the customer affinity side. Yeah, and I, I you know, there's there's that there's the element of being of, of ease ease of use. Obviously, the, the the customers have to love your product, but then there's the ease of use 
that comes along with going to your website, placing that order, getting in the product. Um, and, and I even think more, more so than the whole unboxing thing is just that, okay, I, I got the product did I get it in timely. And then, you know what, I, I, I didn't like this or I didn't like the way it fit or I ordered two because I've never ordered this product before. And it's just so simple for me to return that product. That yeah. to me is the, what the, that wow experience is more so than like an unboxing. Yeah. I, th I think customers know that upfront. So very clearly stated return policy will increase your conversion rate, a no fee return policy. And again, not, this isn't right or wrong. Every brand mm -hmm. should like tinker and play and create the right, like the quote unquote right experience for them. I don't think there's a default correct experience, yep. um, but you can definitely increase your, your conversion rate by itself. And if we think about returns as the same thing as, forward commerce, like fewer clicks, more self-service, can I get what I want when I want it through the channel I want it, is extraordinarily powerful. Yep, um, for sure. Yeah. Brian, I think, it, oh, sorry, Caitlin, go ahead. No, no, Aaron, please go ahead. You know, after you, please. Yeah, so you mentioned um, churn, you know, customer churn. What are some strategies that folks are taking, that merchants are taking to, to avoid that churn, besides just like the frictionless experience, right? Yeah, I love it. So the, the piece that I was going to kind of like try to dovetail in and I was going to do a bad job is it was kind of thinking along this line. So I'm glad you asked that question. Let's just get there. Right? <laughs> yeah, the um, I would think about kind of maybe different stages of a return experience, right? So if we think about it from the journey of a consumer, right? The first thing is, can I do it on my phone at 2 a.m. without talking to anybody, right? I don't want this product. Can I just get rid of it? Or I want to exchange this product and I know I got a small and I really love it, but I want a medium or I, I want to switch to blue for the, for the green, right? So that's kind of step one. I think that's table stakes. At this point, like it doesn't matter who innovated and moved it forward. Everybody's kind of doing it. <clears throat> and you can probably go get a cheap, like cheap. I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but like right. an inexpensive product that like gives you that value. It saves your CX team time. Fine. The next step is, are you learning from that? Right? So um, uh, do you get return reasons? Why are people returning that? And then do you pull the insights out of that to help change your merchandising or to help change maybe even all the way down to your production, right? Because like, okay, this line is always running smaller. This line always has issues. Like right. there is a way to, to get those insights out of there. Um, but so kind of like day one to me is automation. Day two is trying to drive um, in exchange. And so it's more like, how do we create a cookie cutter good experience? Right. Going, going back to kind of Caitlin, what I was saying earlier about revenue retention, if you're a $100 million brand and you have $30 million of returns, every 1% that you turn, convert Caitlin from a returner into an exchanger, right? Like every 1% of those um, is worth $300,000, right? It's worth 3,000 customers if it's a $100 AOV. It's yeah. worth hundreds of thousands of avoided CAC, right? Against mm -hmm. that. Um, and so if you just think about like, okay, how do we inch up the exchange rate? What do you do? You give an incentive for the person to keep the product. Well, first of all, you make it seamless for him or her to see, okay, here is, uh, here's the choice. I want to exchange the blue size 11 shoes. Can I, first of all, like size 10 and a half or size 11 and a half. Second of all, it's like size 11 in different variants, right? Which like Shopify has a lot of limitations, but because loop is built on Shopify, we can give you effectively your whole catalog kind of in, in that, um, uh, base level customer flow. And then the third piece is like, can I exchange for a completely different product? Maybe a hundred dollar pair of shoes for a $30 shirt or for a $250 jacket. But how do I like get the credit from this experience? And I think that's where the industry is going. And then I think there are a couple of things that we add on top um, that 
hopefully help and like tell a different story. Like we see yeah. with our, in particular, like um, the merchants who are willing to invest the time and engage with it is, you know, we have a product called, called um, kind of workflows or custom rules. And it's really like a very grandiose nested if this, then that statement. And so it's like, if Caitlin is a multi-time customer who has bought um, 300 or more dollars worth, give Caitlin the experience of an extended return window or more bonus credit or something like that. And where we are driving, and I assume the industry will follow and it should follow, is creating more bespoke experiences. Bespoke, not necessarily down to one, but like more group level experiences. Yeah. The first time buyer, the person who buys this product has a different window. The person who has this, the return gets routed to a different location. So it's both like the digital experience for you and then it's also the operational experience. Where do our returns get sent? Right, like you might want the returns of one product to one facility, returns of another product to another, the yeah. cheapest return option, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, right. And like, I think that's that's where um, you can kind of see this keep laddering up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it sounds like data plus choices plus automation, you know, the, the consumer wants it to work out, right? And you want yeah, it think, to work out for them. Yeah, I think ultimately, like we talk about the, like the brands that get the best success out of loop. It's not like you turn us on and on day one, you're having the optimal performance. It will be better. It's on day 180, you should be much better than day one. On day 360, you should be marginally better because we think about it like both the product and creating this like really expansive, again, we're a product shop. So we have a lot of like tools that you can work with to drive the experience you want. But ultimately, how do you make those choices? Going back to there isn't a quote unquote right choice. Mm -hmm. um, it actually means the partnership with our merchant success team and like tinkering and saying, cool, let's do this experiment. Or oh, what if we extend an, a, a return window or hey, we don't use a loyalty program, so we don't know who our VIP customers are. Maybe we should define them by their behavior, like six purchases or more, whatever. Um, like I think I think that the tinkering and the like, I feel like tinkering makes it sound small, but really the right, like you're you're like it's ongoing optimization is probably the right, right. way to think about it. And like that's just so different from how people think about returns today. Right. I mean, it's a continuous improvement model, essentially. Uh, right yes. for, for the experience. That, that's a much better way to say it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and and just out of curiosity, is there is there are you measuring the percentage of returns versus, um, I shouldn't say versus, but uh, the returns versus exchanges? Yeah, so we do. And this is one of those where like, I can give you stats and your mileage may vary, right? Going back to right. like, what is your return policy? So right. if you have a higher uh, fee or you have a shorter window, that will change even if you have the exact same product and the exact same price point as another company, right? right. Um, so what we'll see is it depends by verticals, right? The verticals that feel the most pain would be, let's call it apparel, footwear, intimates, right? Things that have a high exchange rate. Um, we have some in the 20s, some in the 60s. I think our average is 38%, 40% in our ballpark, right? And so what that means is for every 100 orders, we're able, or let's actually change it from orders um, to dollars. For every $100 in returns, in that example, if you're like in the in the middle, you'll get $38 into exchanges. We show that that's okay. higher than any of our bigger competitors um, because like that is the thing that we focus on. Again, we if you are not a Shopify brand, you should definitively go with them because we wouldn't be able to serve you to begin with, right? If your absolute right. priority is a great tracking experience and you really want like the enterprise grade, that's Narvar. You know, if you want to do like the Shopify explicit, you would use Malomo or Wonderman, yep. for example. Um, mm -hmm. And so like there's different reasons why you would quote unquote buy each of um, the different solutions. Um, right. For us, it is that revenue retention piece. Like that, yep. that's the differentiator. Do, do you find that there's a certain percentage where, uh, you know, someone someone's buying items, um, they're 
and that when they go to return it, not only are they exchanging, they're actually acquiring another item that brings their, it, it increases what their original spend was to begin with? Yeah, so there are a couple of different features that we have um, around this. One is our shop now bonus credit. So normally if you go and you do a return, you're not, you're, you're default thinking about either an exchange or return. You're not thinking, okay, cool, let me go get some credit and then go shop for something else. That's not right. like your um, intended consumer behavior. And so what we wanna do is nudge the consumer to know that that is possible. So um, we will allow them to shop through the catalog. Um, think about it this way. If you do a return, you're used to doing a return and exchange experience where, again, going back to the example from before, the size 10 and a half shows up or the blue shows up. What we will allow our brands to do is actually bring you back into their website and go through the entire e-commerce flow with the return credit. So now all of a sudden you have the $100, which you can spend anywhere on the site, but you're not like browsing the site through a modal that we've made you, like made the brand set up. You're literally browsing the site with like uh, a loop overlay is probably the easiest right. way to think about that. Okay. Um, so that that's a piece. And then the other is like, we, we've launched a product called Instant Exchange a couple of quarters ago, which drives people to realize that, hey, you can get that exchange faster than even sending back the return. So, you know, the spirit is like, get the right product before returning the wrong one. Same thing, we see that like the combination of the bonus credit plus knowing that you can actually get the item quickly, nudge consumers to go and shop more. It could be add a second thing. Um, again, Brian, to the point before, you might actually get somebody who had a $100 item who only buys a $30 item and they get 70 bucks back on their credit card or in a store credit or, you know, whatever the whatever policy the brand sets up. Yep. That's also okay because you're still retaining that human as a customer and now you can go and remarket to them and find new products for them and everything. What do you see as the trends in, 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 in returns right now that might be continuing to change in, in, in you know, the coming years? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think, I think the first one is actually flipping the perspective or the paradigm of returns as a call center into a LTV driver, into a profit center. Um, right. It just is. You, you've paid a crazy amount of money to acquire these customers. Um, you need to make sure to get them get them into the right products so that they become a raving fan, right? Not somebody who's right. just like, you paid Facebook, Facebook got you that human, that human now left, right? So right. But I, think, I think that is just a paradigm shift and it is pushing innovation to create better consumer experiences. I think the second thing that we're seeing is um, I'd say we have permission and now we're starting to get asked to help optimize the operations. So partially it's like, how can we get cheaper shipping rates? But partially it's, um, hey, I have, you know, a thousand returns a month or 10,000 returns a month or a hundred thousand returns a month. Help me optimize what happens with those. If I just send them back to my 3PL and like, they're obviously like you, right? Like they're super advanced mm -hmm. 3PL, they handle everything. And then yep. there are 3PLs that just like, they're really great at forward commerce and they're very bad at returns because returns right. is hard. So maybe what you should do is you should send them first to a facility that will inspect them and then donate the 30% that just should be donated and refurbish the 40% that need to be refurbished and then just immediately ship back the 30% that could be shipped back. And so what we are seeing is a big ask from our merchants to go help them optimize their entire reverse supply chain. We are asset light. Loop will continue to be asset light. We see it more as like we are, we are mission control. You as a finance function, you as an operations and a logistics and inventory team, need to have perfect data. We will make sure that the data flows through each of these partners, but ultimately it's how can we be in service of the brand and help the brand level up their full operation stack. Um, right. So that's like on the revenue retention side, we're helping you with profitability. We can also help you with profitability on the cost reduction side.
Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually love that because I, I will tell you we're it's part of our core DNA to be able to handle and process returns, but it's, it's partly, it's really in large part because of our background of apparel. We did a lot of fashion and we did a lot of value added services. So we were in that, we were kind of in that game before it was returns yeah. for e-commerce. So it just, it, I can understand why other three PLs might struggle with it and why having functionality like being able to say, hey, look, I'm going to divert this here or there, depending um, for, for a little extra assistance. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, um, and I, I, I knew you guys back in the PLG days and yes. uh, I mean, th through Passport, of course. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the things that was always striking is you handle the biggest, hairiest problems. Um, and that's just not in the DNA. And I think appropriately, it is not in the DNA of a lot of the more modern um, D2C kind of 3PLs. Right. Um, and so, and also every brand has a different need. And even if a 3PL is exceptional at it, you may still have a very discreet need because of the way that you need to refurbish your like linen, something. Sometimes there is another place. And so we see it as our job just to enable them again, to get the experience that they want, not for us to kind of mandate which way things should go. Yeah, absolutely. At what point does a returns management software make sense for a merchant? Because sometimes when I'm speaking to prospects, they're like, our return rate is too low. We don't need that which I understand for the economics of it, but yeah. is there is there a threshold? Is there a percentage point or when does it make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. I wanna, I wanna process what my opinion on this is. So I think, look, I'll go back to my founding of the watch company that I ran, is we wrote handwritten notes with every order. I never put the product in a 3PL and I really wanna be truly intimately close with our customers. I, I wanted to run it like a tech company with a minimum viable product and uh, like um, kind of Brian to your point about like continuous feedback. I didn't want to have a report from somebody else. In retrospect, I think I was completely wrong in how we did it. I think we could have gotten the vast majority of the customer interactions without taking on the operational overhead, right? So it was like, could I do it without a 3PL? Yes. Did we? Yeah. Did we optimize? No, we screwed up, right? right. I kind of think it's analogous. Like you can get by without this and you can tell yourself that, hey, look, Caitlin, I run customer support. I'm getting, a, I, we have a one return, 10 returns, 100 returns a day. I get emails from my customers. It's an opportunity for me to upsell them and, and, and. I think the challenge is like, think about yourself as a consumer and what is the experience you want. What you want is to be able to get done on your own timeline without having to go back and forth. You either really want your money back or you want to exchange it or you're not sure and you're somewhere in the middle. Very rarely are you like, I really want to engage with another human to get this thing that I, in my mind, am, am certain I want. So I think I would first think about where are you is like, what is your objective as a customer service org? There are some companies that want to make it very painful to do a return. I mean, I just had to cancel a magazine and I had to like get on chat and then keep saying, please cancel, right? Like there are some places where you want to shirk that. I think the modern D2C brand is not in that mindset. It's like, cool, let's, let's go create a delightful experience. So I think automation in and of itself is useful. I think there are great companies out there like us to do it at a very high level. I think there are also like probably really nice apps in the Shopify store that are 30 bucks that if all you want is automation, great. I think that is a better consumer experience. I do think there's like that next level of, are you thinking about, are you able to afford a piece of software that is going to pay off in 30, 60, 90, and in a very big way in 360 days or not? If you're at a point where like, you're gonna sweat the 50 bucks for XYZ software, whether it's returns or anything else, be cautious because like you don't, as a founder, right? Or as an entrepreneur, you don't want that yeah. stress. I think when you right. get beyond the like, you're, you're truly like living day to day, I think returns, I mean, maybe a different way to think about it is like returns is 30% of your total business. It's a very high percent of your cost if you think about return shipping and everything. 
dialing that in will actually create a ton of leverage for your business. It'll create a better consumer experience. It'll give you better insights into your product and your flow. And like we discussed, it will increase your, like it is a profitable, sorry, it's a way to drive profitability. Um, sure. Yeah. So that was a very wishy-washy answer. Um, no, but I, I be, I, yeah, I, I think, I like think anybody, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you're at like a thousand returns a year, I think it's like a good place to be like, okay, are we really, are we trying to build a big business? If we are, we should probably start optimizing any and all of our processes and like keep moving up less than that. It's more manageable. Maybe you're getting a lot of feedback and, you know, like, you, again, you do get that. There's like a customer intimacy of like having to interact with somebody as long as you're curious, if all you're doing is like trying to get them out of your help desk, then you should definitely use a return system right, because you're not right. you're, you're like creating pain for yourself and for them. Um, you know, you specifically brought up something that we've, we've heard and we've, and I, I know Caitlin and I have seen is again, and, and entrepreneurs, and I totally get it. They're, they're, they're in the process of building a community around their brand and they want to have that intimacy that comes along with the customers. They want to have that intimate feel and they want people to feel, they want to feel accessible and open, but then you battle that scalability side of it. Like, how am I going to take this up? And I mean, we, we, we get requests, you know, the handwritten notes is obviously one thing we've had hand, people wanted us to actually handwrite something onto the item itself. And this is all great, but it's not scalable. And if you're really trying to grow a, a scaling viable company, at some point you you need to turn to technology and still and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of bring this back full circle i guess or or loop if you will um you, we're gonna bring a, there it is there it is, the there it is so Caitlin, i'm so glad i'm here to experience this no but but really i mean you know it's about gathering and learnings and the information that you can get and as much as you want to be close to the customers and and have that feeling, you, you know what? When you when you turn towards tech to help drive your business, you are immediately gathering up data that's going to help you continue to improve the customer experience. And yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's critical. I think that, that the the insights matter, right? Like I know the customers who love you are the customers who aren't just using you because you're great at fulfillment and obviously and more, but it's also because you help them understand their business better. You give them good data. They can do reporting, and you're you're kind of partnering with them on that. I think it's the same thing for us. I think it's the same thing for most good uh, kind of commerce tech, commerce infrastructure products, right? Yep. Um, is can I learn more and like just build my business in a better way, full stop. Exactly right, exactly right. All right, Aaron, it's been a pleasure. Caitlin, did we, did we miss anything? No, I think no. This, this was great. That was fantastic. Yeah, this is super insightful. I, I this is I think is going to be helpful to the community. Um, they're, they're learning a little bit about, hopefully a little bit deeper about the return process and everything else, and where they where they could stand to benefit. And obviously, you were you were nice enough to talk about different options and solutions, and it wasn't just all about loop. Um, this is great, Caitlin. You want to take us out? Sure. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Check us out at sippinandshipping.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.